Perhaps you've heard of a candid camera. It's uh, one of those things that they do to surprise people with made-up stories. And there was an episode of candid camera years ago uh, that involved preparation for school. Uh, children were preparing for school, and all of the children were well above average in their skills and in their knowledge. And so this candy camera posed a career consultant who was going to advise this brilliant young man concerning the career path they should take in life. What was more suited to them? And so there were tests, there were interviews, and, and it seems all authentic. And there was this young man who was eagerly awaiting the verdict. I mean, surely the advisor will tell the boy to be a college president or a bank president or perhaps a research scientist, but no. The counselor had other ideas. He looked on the boy's face and when the counselor said, son, after evaluating your tests and interviews, I've decided that the best job for you is a shepherd. Now the, the student didn't know whether to laugh or, or to cry. I mean, who in his right mind would want to be a shepherd? I mean, why would you devote your life to, as he thought, stupid sheep that do not seem to have the sense to find their way home? Uh, I had a friend who used to take care of sheep, and he would tell me that even as he gave water to the sheep, and the, the water was right before the nose, the sheep kept, bah, bah, he couldn't see that the water was right before his eyes. It is a challenging job. We all heard about how sheep need shepherds, guidance. Sheep are the most defenseless animal that you can imagine. At times they're very stubborn. They follow the group and, and they need care, they need discernment. But care, however, from the right hands of our right heart. You see, what the boy needed to realize is that no one will be able to be a shepherd without genuine love for the sheep. And that's what Jesus proves to the crowd when he claims these famous words in our text of chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. We're, in, we're still in the final years of Jesus' ministry. There's this conflict that we have seen in past weeks with the religious leaders. More and more, every new miracle Jesus does, every new sermon, every new word from the shepherd, it's causing more and more controversy from these religious shepherds, the, the Pharisees. And now Jesus comes with a metaphor. He comes with this story, with this analogy of the good shepherd. And that idea of a good shepherd must be framed with the context of this theft from the unbelieving wolves in sheep clothing, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who are actually ministers of Satan covering themselves as angels of light. I mean, you have to look at chapter 9, verse 16, 39 to 41. What we saw there, the treatment that they gave to, the harsh treatment they gave to the blind men. It's, it's to be framing here. That's how our text ends in verse uh, 21. It's the framework to this, uh, this analogy of the good shepherd. The treatment that they gave to the blind man. The display of their cruelty and unbelief. In other words, the blind men and all true believers are the true sheep of the Lord. And they follow the good shepherd who is Jesus Christ by believing Jesus Christ and by obeying his words. 
However, we have goats. We have wolves in our story who don't follow, don't believe the shepherd. In all this, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He is inviting the starving sheep to avoid the religious leaders and the danger of bad religion that it caused to follow the voice of the shepherd. Because he promised to give them true, lasting, eternal life. I do remember going through this very passage of John chapter 10 years ago. And I was in Indiana, Purdue University, and we were... uh, trying to share the gospel with this group of Chinese uh, communist students. There was this communist student in particular was very animate against uh, Christianity. And she came to this uh, John chapter 10 and uh, looking at the the thief that comes to steal and destroy. And a few weeks later, I left uh, the campus and I heard that she had committed her life to the good shepherd, that ultimately God had brought her to the good shepherd and that is with this awareness that all we all of us need shepherding sometimes we get shepherding in the wrong places but what does this sermon from jesus tell teaches us about this analogy of the shepherd is that while jesus like a good shepherd truly and fully cares for the souls of believers that is that is what the good shepherd does the pharisees in our story only use and selfishly don't care for others that is the the two characters that we see here there is the good shepherd jesus christ and there's the bad shepherds which are ultimately the hearers of jesus in this case the religious leaders so let us look from our text if you have your outline there the uh, to the traits of the good shepherd jesus christ and there are several verses there let us first notice from the good shepherd jesus christ One quality, and the quality you see there in several texts, uh, verses in our text is that the deeds of the good shepherd, the words of the good shepherd are known intimately by the true sheep of the Lord. That if you're a true believer, you know, the, you recognize, you, you trust in the deeds and the works and the words of the good shepherd. He enters by the door, verse two tells us. The good shepherd enters by the door. This is repeated here in verse 2 and verse 7. In other words, Jesus Christ follows the protocol of what is truly lawful among shepherds. And if you are in the Middle East, maybe not so much here, but sometimes you see this uh, uh, leaving the sheep overnight in this enclosed fold right in front of the shepherd's house. And it's a courtyard that uh, has a gate. And the shepherd slept to guard the flock now this, uh, this, um, this wall was uh, surrounded by this stone wall that was higher than six feet so that the sheep will not go out, but also that uh, predators will not go in. It was topped with briars and thorns for protection against the, whether it's wolves, whether it's lions, whatever it was. And it kept the sheep warm at night as well, together. In other words, the good shepherd, as, as he comes to the gates the next morning, he has to take care of the sheep. There is a, there's a person, the, the superintendent, that let him in. He has no sinister motives toward us. He has, first of all, right claims over his true sheep, and he wants their protection. Christ, in, in other words, metaphorically, is that gate. That in order to enter to the fold 
of Christ, which is ultimately the church, it is through faith and uh, receiving by faith of the gospel that gives access to the fold of the church. That through Christ you have access through salvation. He grants entrance to every true sheep of the Lord to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And in fact, the doorkeeper, our text says, open the door to the shepherd. The morning comes where the porter lets the shepherd in. Why? Because he recognizes Jesus as the true shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is here proving that the good shepherd, unlike the bad shepherds we'll see, legitimately passes through the door and the sheep themselves recognize him. Our text says, verses 3 and 4, my sheep hear, he calls them by name and he leads them. In other words, the sheep, the believer, recognizes the word, the voice of the shepherd. If you, if you ask shepherds, indeed, they have nicknames for sheep. And there is indeed this element. I was once in Italy and going through the mountains uh, with a shepherd, a pastor shepherd, not a, a real shepherd. But what we were going through the mountain and we passed through a group of sheep. And we were just having our conversation to, through the trail. And as soon as the sheep were grazing, heard our voices, they were scared. They, they went off. And that is because they did not recognize our voice. And then there was the shepherd, the true shepherd, who was laying under the tree there in the shade. And he started calling them to calm them down. And immediately they felt safe. That is the relationship of the believer with Christ. He, they hear the voice of Christ and they follow. And Christ guides us as sheep to green pastures. We follow. Why? Because we are familiar with the voice of Christ. There's no fear. There's no estrangement with Christ. And verse 14 tells us this, again, this repetition of Christ saying, I am the good shepherd. I want you to see that to, for Christ to say that he's not just a shepherd, but he's a good shepherd. It means that he's a model shepherd for us. He has a noble character. And he's, he knows the sheep, and he's also known by his own sheep. In other words, there is some sort of familiarity and fellowship and, no, and loyalty between Christ and his believers. Not only between Christ and the believer, but also between each other. The, there's a knowledge and fellowship between the sheep and the shepherd, which is an extension of the communion that the, the Son, Jesus Christ, has with the Father. Verse 21, interesting, gives us an example of how the true sheep, like the, remember, healed blind man we saw last uh, Sunday. He was a sheep indeed. He hears the voice of the good shepherd. He sees him and he has this positive reaction to the gospel. That is proving that he was a true believer. He's now, you can see, he's a, he's a true sheep. However, there was a rebuke, remember, last time to those who maligned Jesus and denies miracle and, and stay in unbelief those are the bad shepherd the question that our text says can a demon open the eyes of the blind it tells us that the blind and all of us who have recovered our sight once we come to jesus christ at conversion we are the sheep in the story in other words from the crowds who still realize jesus is from god and and is god on the flesh those who recognize him as such and who accept and receive his message of salvation are the sheep of the Lord. And in that sense, Jesus is the good shepherd. 
is the true shepherd. Not only Jesus is not a wolf. That was the accusation, remember, of being demon-possessed. He's maligned. But unlike the unbelieving Jews and the religious leaders in particular, which are the true wolves in the story, as we'll see, the good shepherd has nothing to hide. He's a true shepherd, the legitimate owner of the true sheep of the Lord. And he's the door in the sense that he's the starting point for you and me to be part of the church. The unavoidable entrance for all those who are true sheep, true believers, is the gateway of Christ. That's why there's no other door, no other salvation available in the world apart from Christ. No way to seek to enter into the fold of the church by a clever shortcut. And remember, a door is intended to shut some in, the sheep, but there's also a boundary to keep the wolves out, the thieves, as we'll see. They must remain out. And the good shepherd comes to take care of his true sheep. He has not come to take care of goats. Okay? He definitely doesn't want to take care of wolves. He wants to protect the fold from the wolves. Jesus telling that the Jews here, he, uh, the, I am the true shepherd of Israel, which was long awaited in the Old Testament, the gateway for true salvation. If you want to enter the fold of the true sheep of, of the Lord, you must pass through me. And he promises to protect us. He he knows intimately every true sheep of the Lord. And we must know him intimately as well. We are known and he knows us. The sheep is the picture, therefore, for us of the true believer, the true Christian. What does the true sheep does? He hears the word of God. He recognizes the voice of Christ. He trusts and follows Jesus and his words. And so my question to you is, do you know his voice? Are you known by the shepherd? That, friends, is the test ultimately. That not the claim to be a sheep or placing a garment like the wolf on, or on sheep clothing that we'll see in the next point. To be a sheep means that you are a believer and he knows you by name. You are known intimately by him and you know intimately Jesus Christ. That is an encouragement to the sheep because he knows your strength. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your fears. He knows your joys. And whenever you stand in need of guidance, whenever you stand in need of protection or refuge and counsel, whenever you're broken, wherever you're needy, whenever you long for someone to take care of you and you, you don't find it in this world, He's telling to you, come to me. Don't seek that help anywhere else. Turn to the good shepherd, friends. Let him shepherd you. Don't listen to all the competing voices of this world in your life that are confusing you, leading you astray. Realize that he cares for you. If you are a believer, he cares for you like no one else does in this world because he truly loves the sheep. Let's look at the second quality. Not only, as we saw, the, the first element of his uh, is, is, is being the good shepherd. He's also the door to salvation and to abundant life. Various texts there. Verse 7. I am the door of the sheep gate. This is, by the way, the third time Jesus uses this seven I am in the Gospel of John. I am. We saw the bread of life. Now we come to I am the door of the sheep. And anyone who wants to be part of the fold, the church, has to pass through Christ and through Christ alone. Verse 9 again says, I am the door of the sheep. That defines for you what the door is. That Christ 
But he adds also the promise, if you enter by me, you will be saved. That you will be protected and safe from all dangers. I mean, think about a sheep with a shepherd. That when you have a shepherd that protects you, you will not starve in the desert. You will live protected. You will not fall prey of wolves. That you will be taken care of all of your needs. But ultimately, you will be saved in your soul. That your soul will be saved, delivered from death by the hands of wolves, by the hand of your own sin, and your being like a sheep led astray. The good shepherd seeks and finds you. And you were lost, as we heard with the, with the, with the testimony this morning. That ultimately, all of us, at one point in our life, we were like a sheep. We were trapped somewhere, under some bush, stuck under. Sometimes we see videos online of these sheep that go under the ground. And the shepherd has to pluck them out. And the dangers also of approaching beasts and animals that will fall prey and the sheep will die. Not only that, but he, you can now, through the shepherd, go in and out. That is referring to the sheep. That The lifestyle of a sheep is like that. You graze at dawn, and then you take shelter from the heat around noon, and then you graze again until evening. And then the shepherd calls you to return to the gates for the night to find shelter from bad weathers and, and, and uh, bad animals at night. So Christ, in that sense, provides you with direction. And you go in and out in the sense, that is an idiom, that is a way of saying to describe actually the Christian life. That we co come in and out, we provides us direction, and we look forward, therefore, to coming the, to the life of the church under the new covenant. Jesus is doing this as we are proceeding now to establish the church. We come in, 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 in that pasture that is ultimately the life of the church. I mean, that's what sheep need. What me and you need is spiritual nourishment. That we experience the beautiful freedom of being under the leadership of the Good Shepherd. The true freedom, which however comes with boundaries. And those boundaries are for our own good. The fences at night for the, for the sheep. The staff that leads us. Sometimes it re rebukes us if we need to go back to the right path. And pastures which are pointing to... The, this nourishment that we have from Christ and ultimately eternal life. That we are, we're going to enter that promised land, the true promised land in heaven, grazing freely forever at the presence of our Savior. But the second part of verse 10 also contrasting the bad shepherd. The good shepherd has come that we may have life. And not just life, but abundantly. In an extraordinary amount, a profuse life, such life in comparison with anything else in this life, makes everything pale. That is the abundant life, the satisfying, truly satisfying life, which doesn't refer, by the way, just to this earthly life. I know that some churches and prosperity gospel use this verse to mean that now we're going to have an easy life. Absolutely not. As a sheep, you will still be under constant threat by wolves. But the real and eternal life which we already have experienced as salvation in our hearts outweighs any joy that people without, without the good shepherd can find in this life. Or they pretend to experience. It will be better than anything we ever dreamed already as he is our shepherd in this life. But in eternity to the fullness, in all of its fullness, that our cup ultimately overflows even if our means are meager. 
D.L. Moody said this, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. So you think about the door. Just like the door is the, the entrance of the house, so Jesus is the starting point and channel of your salvation. Later, Jesus in another I am says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, this is a call to come under the leadership and protection of a better shepherd. That now you have to leave and abandon the bad shepherds. That he's the door in the sense that he's an unavoidable mediator between God and man. That for you to go any other ways or climb any other ways is going to result to your perdition. He's also a good shepherd because he's kind. He's gentle. He's tender in his care. He's, he's favorable to the sheep. You feel safe around Jesus Christ. He's a compassionate sir, shepherd who has compassion for the sheep without shepherds. He's a, he also doesn't know and does anything crafty like the bad shepherds. There's nothing selfish in him. He knows us by name. He will never disappoint us. And he will never forget us. If you come to him as a true sheep of the Lord in faith. Because friends, it is only through the good shepherd that you can find eternal life. He's like a good shepherd that gently takes us and places us around his neck. That is the picture that early Christians love the most of Christ as that good shepherd that takes you around the neck like a sheep. He wipes your tears away. He heals your broken bones. We become of, of this part of this, not just us, but the true people of God. We now begin a path as believers to follow the shepherd. At times, sheep may wander from the fold. Yes, even followers can get lost. The shepherd may have to use the staff of discipline. At times, he has to, the shepherds in their life, they have to break a leg of a stubborn sheep. To make sure that now the, the sheep goes back to the path. It is a painful thing. But it's for their good. Because remember that the shepherd remains good. Not only protects you. And once you understand his heart. You see the pure joy. To be under the care and love. And, and the grazing of Christ. As, as he shepherds us. As you benefit from his word. As you experience fellowship with him in your prayer life. When you experience the plenteous provision in your life. And you graze through the shepherd. Just like a sheep feeds on grass. That's what we need. But notice. Sheep are never on their own. Sheep are never on solo. And if God decided to use the metaphor of a sheep. There is a reason. That the church is also in this text. That living life as a single sheep is... You're opening yourself to the worst dangers ever. No, what you see sheep doing is they're constantly, continuously, always part of a fold. So may our goal as Theta Baptist Church to see a church where we are truly members of one another. We walk in unity under the voice and direction of our good shepherd. And we may reflect the green pastures the, to be rich in scripture, but also rich in mutual love. That is the abundant life ultimately. That the, the good shepherd abides in us. Otherwise, like our next point, we only starve. We'll only remain sheep without our shepherd. Or we will only reflect the traits of the bad shepherds in our story. Who steal life from the true sheep of the Lord. Without even caring. No, the good shepherd is good. He sacrificially, that is our third sub-point, lays down his life for all true sheep. He lays down his life. Not only Jesus is a good shepherd that provides abundant life. No, he's willing 
Think of it. To expose himself to danger to protect a sheep. That is already a kind action. But here we go even a step further. Look to what point this good shepherd is willing to give his life and nourishment for his sheep. To the point of complete sacrifice. That is ultimately what gave us true life as sheep of the Lord. His sacrifice. Verse 11. The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The beautiful, excellent shepherd. You can trust me. I will protect you. I'll guard you from danger. I will guide you. And that is the fourth I am of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. Now, let me make a parenthesis with the Old Testament here. Because the Old Testament always referred to God as shepherd. And said, therefore, this uh, fourth I am of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. In the background of the Old Testament is the referring to this double reference to his deity. Which is what Jesus has done through the Gospel of John. We already seen. And here's how the, to recognize him from the false shepherds. He's not only willing, if necessary, to actually help us, but he sacrifices, he gave his life for the sheep. That is what the good shepherd did. That is the measure of the goodness of the shepherd. He sacrificed his life for the safety of the sheep. And he did so by dying on the cross, by the hands of bad shepherds, as the Lamb of God. To take away all your sins. To purchase you to himself. All the sins of the sheep. All the straying and the, and the running away. All we like sheep have ran astray. But the Lord took the Lamb of God. And he gave willingly his life. Through his vicarious death. Which means he died in our place. That shepherd dies to save his sheep. He gives his life for the true sheep. But he doesn't give his life for the goats or the wolves of our text. So that tells you that his death on the cross was meant to purchase and to redeem the sheep. And not just anyone in particular. He has a particular, peculiar love. So allow me to preach to myself here. The text obviously is indirectly a great charge for pastors. Paul is in his letters continues to use the shepherd image. He addressed elders in the churches. He says, elders, you are to shepherd souls. That's where, what is more important than anything else. Not whether we get a new sanctuary, whether we grow in numbers, whether I teach or not a school, whether I publish a book or not. No, all these things are secondary. The primary goal of shepherding is the shepherding of souls. I want you to really pray for your elders that we may shepherd the souls that the god ultimately we have to give an account the primary goal is not to just have a title is to exercise spiritual oversight among the true sheep of the lord as we follow christ he is our pattern realizing that no work as pastors can be achieved without the personal acquaintance with the sheep with one another and uh, that we were willing to open to each other's lives i realize that a, sh a sheep can stay a long time without shepherds and that tends to be protective and there's an opening. Yet we all need shepherding, friends. Ultimately, by our Savior and toward one another, there's mutual love that flows in the fold toward each other. And I realize I, I myself ha have to pray the Lord that He will create that. And we must learn to move at the voice of the shepherd. Ultimately, that's what we are following. 
We hear the voice of the good shepherd call. And secondly, shepherds are called to lead. That is another thing in our text. That, Like shepherds, we cannot assume people to go somewhere we ourselves are not going first. And that is the object of prayer. God, help this church to be led. And we pray often, but continue to pray that way. Taking the good shepherd, however, as a model, not ourselves. That is the modeling that we are calling people to do. Being willing to also look at the sacrificial aspect of shepherding. I pray that, you know, for this willingness to sacrifice everything for the spiritual good of the sheep. Now, I cannot produce this on my own. No one can. Which brings me to my next observation. That ultimately, more directly, our text is, there's only one good shepherd. <laughs> that is the, the relief here. That we remain imperfect. That he and not, not us is the hero in the story. That he, he defends his sheep from wolves. And I myself am a, a sheep. And he is the good shepherd. He delivers us from Satan, from sin. And think of how does he do that. He dies on the cross to preserve the true sheep from the eternal danger and to grant us eternal life. That is the measure of his love. That through his only perfect sacrifice, he, he rescued the sheep. And so he invites everyone to come to him. To the only perfect sacrifice, whether you're needy, whether you are neglected, whether you're lost, to follow the good shepherd. And you're in good hand with Jesus Christ. That I or any other human shepherd can never sacrifice his sinful human life for you. I'm not a superman. I'm not a savior. He alone is the perfect shepherd. And this is a challenge I see in some churches, especially where there's a unbearable expectation of their own shepherds that, that's wrong too that, that shepherds don't know it all they can't fix it all but we know someone who can and that ultimately is the good shepherd jesus christ and that goes for other things i mean we look at the needs of uh, shepherding in our country uh, we are going astray from from the foundation of this country friends i'm telling you if we don't turn to the leading of the good shepherd this country will collapse by the speed of light. It's a matter of years. It's not a matter of centuries here. Hear, O shepherd of Israel. We cry out, come and save us. But even in our specific life, we realize that my husband, my spouse, my pastor, my favorite teacher, no one can replace the good shepherd. No one can give me what the life that the good shepherd gives me. That the, the, the role should be to point us to the good shepherd. And my goal here is this morning to point you to the good shepherd. That he remains the shepherd of your soul. That you feed on him. And if that's accomplished, and if you're walking with the Lord, I am glad. I'm satisfied. I've accomplished my goal. Regardless of whether I, I will lead you all the way to heaven or not. It doesn't matter. But uh, let's go back to our text. Verse 15. The, the good shepherd again, as I say, lays down his life for the sheep. He refers to his death on the cross. I mean, that's how far the love of the good shepherd goes for the straying, wandering sheep. We're wandering in sin. While each of us went to his own way, the shepherd gave his life willingly. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. And they shall be one flock under one shepherd. Now, this is referring, obviously, to the Gentiles, to the, um, the non-Jewish people like us, who now come to this same God of Israel, and we are one united church, universal, of the true sheep of the Lord. Now, this is not encouraging ecumenism between 
denomination. In fact, there's a strong divide, as I said, our next point with false Christianity of the, the Pharisee, the bad shepherds, the wolves in sheep clothing. However, the one good shepherd Christ is followed by the true sheep. They will follow his word. They will abide in his word. They will obey the voice of God's word. That is the ultimate foundation to our unity. Verse 17 says, he lays down his life once again. And that is a reason for the father to love the son. Yes, Jesus bore the wrath of God upon the cross. But the father still loves the son. In fact, the father's love is shown by the fact that he's willing to give his own beloved son for the salvation of the wandering sheep for us as sinners. He's willing to die in our place. And Jesus is willing to do that on your own. He has perfect authority and power. I will give my life and I will take it again. This is a willing act. This is not a mistake. He willingly gives his life and then he will rise again. He's not forced by the Father. He sacrificed willingly. This was not a failure. He was not overcome by his enemies. But this is an actual act of power, of authority. He has the capability and the right, to con the control over his life to become this offering for sin, only to be risen again. And that is to respond to the command of God, which is there in our text. That command refers to what Theologians have spoken about that covenant that God took, the, the Father and the Son, to, they had an agreement on eternity past to come and die for us, the covenant of redemption. Before this world was created, the Father and the Son uh, had an agreement, a pact eternally between each other. The Father commissions the Son, the shepherd, to come and rescue us wandering sheep, to be a savior. To the sheep, by the way, to those who are chosen by God. And the Son agrees to fulfill our righteousness, to live a perfect life, and then become flesh, live a perfect life, and then die as a sacrifice for the sheep. That is the unchangeable covenant that God makes, and now in history is coming to pass. And Jesus is telling the crowd of his awareness of his need to fulfill the key mission to die, to ransom the sheep. I give my life, I take it again. David Livingstone, who himself was a missionary, says God had only one son and he was a missionary himself. Ultimately, Jesus is the good shepherd in the sense that the ultimate sense, he leads, he gives life, and he even dies for the sheep. This is the chief goal for which Christ came into this world. Jesus' death was not an accident. Often you hear people fantasizing about the death of Christ as a failure. No, the good shepherd was not a helpless victim of the Jewish leaders, not even of the Roman authorities. His death and resurrection didn't simply happen to him. It was, make, it was made it happen for a specific goal. God incarnate to answer to the unfailing divine task that God, the Father gave him. He came on earth. He was driven, however, by love for the true sheep. And his sacrifice as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Now, Martin Luther was once asked one, by one of the people in his congregation, why are every Sunday you tell us about this death of Christ? I mean, we heard it. We, we know the gospel. It's like you are preaching to the choir. And Luther responded to this man, no. 
No, friend, you as a sheep and I, we need to be reminded every single Sunday, every time we gather of what Christ has done for us because the sheep tend to wander. The sheep tend to forget. And that's the, the sheep of the Lord. The main mi mission of Christ is not just simply to sympathize with us, is to do the specific destination of the cross. The true believers experience by faith on the death he dies for us because he loves us. He was willing to set aside all of his wishes as a man to do the will of God until death and even beyond. And his triumph over death, friends, proves that he's indeed who he said he was. That the good shepherd, God himself on earth, overcame. And the sheep now are bought back to the fold. Now beyond this unique sacrifice, there's again, none of us sinful human beings can ever accomplish what Christ as a good shepherd did. Absolutely. That is unique, the uniqueness of the perfect good shepherd. However, nevertheless, it's instructive for us, especially I think about pastors, I think about even broadly as believers in the church. There's, a, there's something to see here. I mean, we love military stories of sacrifice, you know. Think about, uh, I was thinking about those two friends in Vietnam. Was, one was a believer, one hated uh, Christians. And the unbeliever, the unbeliever gets wounded under fire, but now the believer decides to cover cover him from, from fires that is coming from the enemy, but he gets wounded too. And finally you have uh, both of them right there, unable to move, and the enemy is about to launch some grenade, and there on the spot, the, the, the unbelieving friend says, I need Christ. And because he saw the gesture of sacrifice of his friend, and ultimately God opened his heart before ultimately they both die under a grenade. So, this is an incredible measure of example. No one, no one has greater love than to give his life for his friends. And that is a model. So the question for us is, as we look at the bad shepherds in the next point, um, briefly, do we keep integrity in the, f in the face of personal loss in the way that the good shepherd did? Martyrdom, we think about it. We, you know, we, we're glad to say, but we, we know that Peter later will deny the Lord even. Are we willing to leave the 99 to reach the lost sheep? I mean, the, 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 the test of genuine selfless care that is you give your life for another friend of God. And I'm not referring how we treat anyone. I mean, we're not called to sacrifice for the good of, as I said, goats or wolves, but for the sheep. How do we treat believers? True believers is where we need to have consideration that there is, needs to be this family likeness with the good shepherd, not to be similar to the thieves and the destroyers and the way they dealt with others, the selfless love that can only be created by God once we understand what God did to us and our hearts is shaped. But there's also the beauty here of the new covenant that it fulfills the other folds of non-Jewish people brought near to God and the God of Israel. That no matter your background, your nation, your past, if you're a sheep, you're a sheep. And that's all that matters. There's also a call to pursue True unity with the true sheep of the Lord, obviously. That uh, the, the one same sacrifice unites us, whether they agree with us in every jot and tittle of doctrine, doesn't matter, but that we, we have that unity in Christ, ultimately, and in, in the Word of Christ. Now, let's move to the other traits of the bad shepherds, and I'll go quicker here. That what, what are the bad shepherds, the Pharisees, remember, in our stories, known for? They are the opposite of the good shepherd. 
that their bad deeds and lies are foreign to the true sheep. The true sheep of the Lord will not follow a stranger. That is what verse 5 and 6 tells us. Strangers are people, in, as I said, as I was walking the road with those uh, sheep, they, they were scared of me. They didn't know me. They fell under threat. They, the, 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 the stranger doesn't own the sheep. It's someone other than the true shepherd. Something that has, someone who has no claim over the sheep. And uh, in fact, the sheep flee because they don't know his voice. They get into panic. This was uh, the way Jesus spoke. But again, people did not understand what Jesus was re referring to here. And they did not heed uh, the voice of the shepherd. Verse 19 there was division among the Jews. They even called him a demon. They thought he was crazy and mad. That is because they're not true sheep of the Lord, you see. The reaction of the bad crowds here shows us that they're stranger to God. They neither know known God and neither are they known by God. And they know nothing of this intimacy with the good shepherd. There's no good in these shepherds. They're actually the double culprit, the Pharisees, the unfaithful ministers of our days, I could think, who Jesus sends here the bill of charges against them. The unbelieving crowds and the Pharisees cannot bear the words of the true good shepherd. Instead, they go after dead religious leaders. They claim to be the way, the gateway of knowledge to God. And if you keep our rules, then you, you might get to heaven. And they, what they do, they only malign the Savior here out of jealousy. They pridefully claim to be guardians of the truth, but they kick out the true sheep of the Lord. Look what happened last time with the blind men. They excommunicated. They're actually like devils, unable to do anything good. They didn't attend the weak and the hurting sheep of the Lord. They ruled by force and cruelty. They love their lives more than they can even show the slightest care for the sheep. The true believers. They fall prey. To their schemes. The true believers should instinctively recognize the lies of these bad shepherds, the fruit, the bad fruits of the bad shepherds, because they lack true love that the, only the good shepherd can give. There is no green pasture here in the desolate and dangerous wilderness that the Pharisees are walking the sheep into. They're just thief, unkind, cruel. I mean, any false teacher, any wolves in sheep clothing, displays this same DNA. But what is the second problem of these uh, bad shepherds? They bypass the door. We talked about the door. Christ only provides the abundant life. What do they provide? They bypass the door and they only provide death. In verse 1, actually, Jesus calls the Pharisees blind last time we saw that. He continues this speech with the intent to show them that they are the false shepherds here. He warns that anyone who entered the sheep will not by the gate, which is what the Pharisees have done, sneaking over the wall through some other quarter of the fence. I mean, what do you think? He come, someone come to your house, and instead of knocking the doorbell, he start climbing from the fence. I mean, you will assume immediately, oh, there's something shaky and weird about this guy. That one is a thief and a robber. He must be that and nothing but that. And... He doesn't do what the scripture commands us to do. He doesn't follow the guidelines of the good shepherd as we saw. And they don't pass through Christ to get into heaven. I mean, this is describing someone who does not want to have anything to do with the demands of the, of, of the gospel. With the word of God. 
And, and yet, wh whether because of pragmatism, whether because of uh, simply a demonic intervention, he manages to enter the fold of the church and even all the way to the leadership role of these Pharisees. I mean, here, how they were bad shepherds. Here are some of the traits that you must beware. Someone who is feeding only himself and not the flock, ruling through deception, seizing by force. That, that is not the quality of the true good shepherd of Christ. They put heavy burdens on the sheep, but they did not lift them with one finger. And, and here the, the, the shepherd has to shout against them as wolves. They're trying to come and take the, the true sheep of the Lord and lead them astray. But he must protect them. And beyond the impressions, the good shepherd knows they're not lawful shepherds of the true flock of God. All the unbelieving Jews, despite their dressing like a shepherd, despite their language, they're actually robbing the true church of God. I know that this church had its share of things like that in, in the past years. And we all know stories about bad shepherds, bad motives, no law for the sheep. They reserve savage treatment to the true believers, like the healed blind man we saw last week. They respond unfavorably to the good shepherd. And what is the true sheep supposed to do in such condition? I mean, run for your life. What, what the bad shepherds do is they leave the sheep to perish to themselves. That is verse 8. In complete contrast to the shepherd. Remember, what did the shepherd do? The good shepherd gave his life for us. Here you have the, the bad shepherds. All that came before him, he says, Jesus. And that refers to all the Old Testament, uh, particularly Ezekiel 34, as a big and log restriction, both of the, the civic, the kings as shepherd, but also the, 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 the religious leaders of Ezekiel's day, that they were worthless shepherds. Zechariah 11:17. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaves the flock. This world shall be upon his arm, and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. That is the failure of the bad shepherd of Israel. That they, 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 they did not take care of the sheep. And the finally now, finally the time has come for the good shepherd to come. And he declares them to be thieves and robbers. Sheep stealers who are up to no good. They, the thief comes for stealing, kill and destroy. That is their nature. That is, if you expect a thief to do anything but that... Then you are in gross danger. I mean, it's like giving Biden, giving money to the Palestinian government now. It's like, don't you know that there's thieves and, and, and all sort of things there? So to choose to follow thieves, to be robbed and killed and abused instead of the good shepherd, how absurd. And yet that's exactly what most people do in, in, in this world, don't they? They would rather beg at the feet of either false empty religion, either false teachers, Either follow idols of this world and, and a relationship that destroys you. Money, pleasures, fame, addiction. And, and all these things are robbing your souls. You're being damaged more and more. You're being hurt every time you get near that fire. People who take advantage by their selfishness. They protect themselves. They exploit people. How foolish to say under the tyranny of that, uh, under the tyranny of sin, when you have the life-giving steps that you can follow behind the Savior. We have to keep in mind that ultimately all sort of religion without Christ is of the devil. That is, that is satanic. We must protect our church from that. Just like here, Paul warned the churches that after his departure, 
fierce wolves will come among the church, not sparing the true flock of the Lord. This is a, a spiritual warfare. Let's go back to the text briefly. Uh, verse 12, 13. It speaks of them like a hard workers. That's what these bad shepherds are. The motivation, as opposed to the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep, is only to gain money. Professional religious leaders of Israel, of Jesus' day, and anyone who follows in their step. They're paid to do the job, but they have no interest in the sheep. They're not going to risk their life for the sheep when they're threatened. I mean, a bad shepherd serves for wages. No other reason. He doesn't own the sheep. There's no concern. There's no relationship. And when the wolf comes, he, he runs for the hills. And the, the wolves takes and scatter the, the sheep. But why? Why is the hard man doing this? Because he doesn't care. This is the opposite of the good shepherd. He has no interest in the safety. Gentile once said, It is by no means remarkable that the barking of the dog should annoy wolves. And the wolves here are the Pharisees. They are bad shepherds in the sense that they lead people astray, they steal life from people, and they selfishly abandon the sheep under the threat of the wolf. Have you ever experienced being robbed, whether physically or even in, emotion, in, in your emotional life, you can get robbed by people. Something, life is stolen by you. That is every time that you drink the poison of sin. It's definitely unpleasant. I think how pleasant when evil people enter a church and damage it because pastors neglecting to protect the people. Or I hear churches you know, where the pastor leaves with all the money and, and it's, it's, it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this text is not suggesting the church should not pay a pastor, but the problem is here. You think about wealthy North America. That's the warning of against serving the Lord for selfish gain. That is the warning. That you're driven by this controlling fact of the law for money. You don't care for the sheep. And there's plenty of people out there. They're, they're not called by the good shepherd and they stand on a pulpit. They are hard hands. They might be even themselves be unconverted. They have no true love to give to the true sheep of the Lord because they are not themselves sheep. They serve if, if it's convenient, but they're unwilling to follow the road to sacrifice. If they do, they, they pseudo for a, for a reason and then they abandon is proving that they are among those bad shepherds and the sheep sadly suffer. That goes for all of us, not just pastors. I mean, if you serve Jesus only when it's convenient, then for self-preservation you leave. And that's, that's a problem. But what does steal and kill and destroy means? What we see here is the bitter taste of sin. I don't have to go and describe, but I'm sure you have tasted that we reap the fruit from going to unloving, uncaring people who only use us for their purposes and then they leave us to ourselves when we're no longer useful for that purpose, people get hurt. You see how sin leads away to death, to separation, destruction. This internal conflict, it's even taking physical things that brings, however, damage to your body. It leads to spiritual bareness, fear, stealing your joy, your excitement for good things. It robs you of peace. It makes you feel the whole weight of separation and estrangement from others and from God ultimately. Even the people closest to us face that brokenness. That's the way in which Satan, sin, robs you. And sadly, sometimes even like the Pharisee, using things in the name of God. Even through sheep's in wolf clothing. 
But friends, don't go there any longer. The good shepherd is here to bring you into safety. Out of all this, to break the chains of sin, to grant the abundant life. And so I want to conclude here with asking some reflective questions about the good shepherd here. Our response to the shepherd. What voices? That was the question I asked that Chinese girl. What voices are you listening to in your life? Voices that are leading you, promising you life, and only delivering you death. They're stealing, robbing from you. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus or these competing voices from the world that leads you astray from the path and bring only brokenness? And how does the voice of the Good Shepherd relate to your situation? Are you obeying the voice of the Shepherd? The way you, you obey the voice is obey His words. You listen and follow the Good Shepherd in every area of your life. Or perhaps you say, oh yeah, I got this time slot. I'm, I'm, I'm with, the, with the sheep and then I go on my own and do my own thing. And how do you feel about the exclusive claims of the Shepherd here in our text? What, what the Good Shepherd is saying is that you have to follow him and him alone. That there needs to be no competing voices. That if you know his voice, he knows you. Or maybe you sought to enter from another way like a thief. And you thought, I'm going to just pass through, 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 the, through, the, through the fence. I, like Pilgrim Progress. Pilgrim says, yeah, have you come through the narrow gate? And there was this guy. He's like, no, I didn't. I thought best. I knew... I wanted a, I found a shortcut here through the wall. Yeah, but you're not going to get into the celestial city like that. You have to pass through the gate of faith to trust your life in the sacrifice of the shepherd that he gives you life. Otherwise, you'll still unrepentantly go around to steal and reaping only destruction. Are you now willing to sacrifice it all? To follow Jesus Christ, even your sin and leaving it behind. Have you known him and followed his, this fellowship that I'm speaking about? This communion with the shepherd. And how can you tell, according to our text, if anyone around you wants your good or not? By their fruit you shall know them. That is why... From now on, we are to avoid people that steal from our life. We, uh, we must avoid and flee from wolves and pursue the abundant life that Jesus gives us. Instead of going and feeding from things that are taking life away from us. And that is through the rescue of the Good Shepherd. And when you try to find rescue anywhere else, it only leads to being trapped, being a lost sheep. Let Him be your rescue, friends. May you daily follow this shepherd. You hear the word of God. You hear the preaching of the gospel. You, 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 you go to him in prayer. That is the next point in our analogy. Essentially, that prayer is like a sheepdog. He helps the shepherd. He's always trained to come to his master's feet. And that is you going to him in prayer. Calling out to him. And, and I'm calling you right now to call this shepherd like a needy, bleating sheep that you have no clue where to go. You have no understanding, but you say, Lord, come and shepherd me out of this. Bring me back. Help me to flee from sin and anything and anyone that is stealing life from me right now. Help me to stay near to you. Protect me, O oh good shepherd.
I want to conclude here with the words of Psalm 23, which hopefully after this sermon will be showing themselves with their new light. They, they, they find their fulfillment in ultimately in Christ. He is the good shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, the shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray.